0: All right, good morning, everybody. This morning we'll be in Psalms 55 and 56. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, that's our text for today. Um, We'll pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for um, the worship and the singing that we've had so far, and our hearts are prepared uh, to receive everything you have for us. Help us to hear for ourselves, uh, to be encouraged, um, to be convicted if need be, but we just pray that you'd speak, that your Holy Spirit would be very present, that um, and you would be our teacher and guide, in Jesus' name, Amen. So studying Psalm fifty-five, it's not a it's not a very happy psalm. Some of these aren't, um, but I was thinking about not neither is secular music. You know, a lot of times there's the, the the happy songs, and then there's always then there's you know the the emo songs or the the sad songs that make you want to cry and all. And so I guess that's okay. Um, I do want to take the time, though, as Psalm 55 is a, is a psalm of uh, treachery and betrayal. Um, there is hope, though, with this. Um, it isn't just that we sing that psalm, because that's where the secular songs leave us lying flat. They leave you in that place. By the end of the song, you're You're either slashing somebody's tires, you know, to get back at them or, you know, I don't know. David does a little slashing here, you know, but he leaves us with hope because although that terrible thing has happened to you and that treachery or that deception or whatever took place, that isn't the end of it for us as believers. And so hopefully we take that home this morning. In verse one, it says, give ear to my prayer, O God, and do not hide yourself from my supplication. Attend to me and hear me. And that's how he starts most of his songs. It's a prayer, simply put. Um, God, I pray that you'd hear me. I Don't, don't hide from me. And, you know, God doesn't hide. I mean, we don't get our doctrine from this. I hope you understand that. You don't have to, you know, God, please don't hide yourself. And God's like, oh, okay. He doesn't, he doesn't do that. That's just David beginning his emotions, getting it out on the table, I really need your attention here. It's, it's almost a confession of this has really hit me hard, God, harder than other things have hit me. And so please, 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 please listen. I am restless in my complaint and moan noisily because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they bring down trouble upon me, and in wrath they hate me. He's upset. It's the people around him. He's been oppressed by enemies before. They've bothered him. It's nothing new for David. David's no stranger to danger. I mean, he lived his life that way and always relied on God. But some days, these things hit harder. Some days we're really strong and they bounce off of us, you know, skin of a rhino, heart of a child kind of attitude, which we should all strive for. And other days, you're a little bit more vulnerable. And they hit harder, and David is having one of those days. Um, maybe he 's worn down, maybe he 's tired, maybe he 's just you know what it 's like after being in a fight or a a, a prolonged battle, whatever it may be you 're weary from it, you know, and so maybe david's in that place, but it 's hitting him hard um, it 's with wrath they hate me i don 't mind the hate necessarily i mean he does he doesn 't want anybody to hate him, but if they 're going to hate him the adding of wrath to it is bothersome because they want to respond, you know? the, The enemy wants to take you out, not just be mad at you and huff and puff and pout with their arms crossed, but they're actively seeking you, you know? And David can feel that. He says in verse four, my heart is severely pained within me. Now that's different. That's different. And we're gonna see why here in a minute. My heart is severely pained within me. And the terrors of death have fallen upon me. He's never had that. You know? What's happening here? We're going to see that here, I think, in verse 12 is when he drops the hammer here. It's a terrible thing I'm going through. There's terrors, there's death, there's fearfulness and trembling have come upon me. And horror has overwhelmed me. Horror? You know? These are strong words, even for David. David's got a lot of emotions. He's very out there, but he's feeling something strong here. So I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Indeed, I would wander far off and remain in the wilderness. He wants to get away. He's asking God, and that's his heart. If if there was a way for me to fly away from this situation, I would. And I think every one of us can identify with that. You've been hit so hard by something so long. You're like, you know, I could use some time in the desert right now and be alone. And that's okay. There are times for that. There's a time for um, seeking the Lord. Jesus sought the Lord on the mountain, spent time in prayer to refresh, knowing he was going back down the mountain. And I don't know that David's exactly encouraging himself to get wings to fly away and then come back. I think it's more just fly away. Um, Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I'd like to just fly away right now. Something's bothering him so much so that he wants to escape this situation. He's never escaped trouble before or enemies. He understood his calling, his place, his position, what God's wanted him to do. Escape was not really an option. It was always confrontation, head on, no fear, you know, trusting in the Lord. And that's what we loved about David, but that's not where he is in this place. Verse 8, I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and tempest. Not interested in going through this one. I don't want to ride this one out. I just want my life to be calm. Verse 9, destroy, O Lord, and divide their tongue. In other words, their counsel, their speech, what they're conniving and bringing together. I pray that you divide it, bring division in that group. This group that's seeking my life or seeking to harm me or take me out, I pray that you divide it up. A lot like what happened at the Tower of Babel. Babel had uh, problems. They were going to make themselves like God. They were going to make themselves high above any, anything that's ever done before. This tower was going to elevate them as a society and as a people to where they no longer needed God. And God says, no, that's, that's not going to happen. And he divided their languages up. But Babel, that's where we get that term. So that they couldn't understand each other and they couldn't fulfill their purposes that they wanted to. David's asking the same thing of God. Would you do this for this group that has counsel against me? Divide their tongue. Bring confusion. And here's why. There's six things here. For I have seen violence and strife in the city. Day and night, they, that's violence and strife, go around it on, on its walls. Two more things. Iniquity and trouble are also in in the midst of it. Destruction is in its midst. Oppression and deceit do not depart from its streets. There's actually seven things there if you want to call destruction in the midst of it. But there's things that are evident. You don't really have to know that there's a plan or that people are doing things. You can just see the evidence of it. And what David is, is he walks through this city, this country that he's in charge of. He says, I'm seeing violence and strife. David's whole heart for being a king in Israel was to bring peace and unity, to bring people together. But what I'm seeing here, the evidence that I'm seeing, regardless of what the source is, I see violence, I see strife, I see iniquity, I see trouble, I see oppression, I see deceit, I see destruction. So something's going on. Sometimes when I'm milking the cow, farm story alert, We have to wait for the machine to get done, and we're kind of at a pause, and it's early, and I don't, you know, you're in the barn, and I can see out both sides of the barn. It's it's kind of open on one side, and we come in there. So I'm looking out at this pond, and I can see that stirring of the water over there early in the morning. I'm like, ooh, you know, what is it? What's that? What is it? And I wait for it to either turn over and be a turtle or a fish is doing something, or you can see the swirling and all that. And you don't know what it is. And it doesn't make any, there's no more to the story than that. Except that I see the evidence of something happening underneath the water. I can see the waves. I can see it all. I don't know what it is. So I sit there and watch. And that's where David finds himself. He's looking at the city. And he's saying, I'm seeing all this fluff up or get stirred up. I wonder, what's, I wonder what's causing it. And he finds out here what it is. And that's what's, that's what's breaking his heart so much. The opposite of these things is very important to violence and strife is there should be peace. There's supposed to be peace. Iniquity and trouble, there's supposed to be righteousness instead of iniquity. Oppression and deceit, there's supposed to be freedom and truth. Those are the things that David is striving for. Those are the things that he wants, but he's not seeing that. The evidence and the fruit of whatever is happening under the surface that's coming to the top is, is not bearing that kind of fruit a good tree doesn't bear bad fruit and a bad tree doesn't bear good fruit. Both are true. You know? And so David can tell there's something wrong. And so in verse 12, this is where he lets us know what's happening. For it is not an enemy who reproaches me. Then I could bear it. And we understand that. He's always gone against his enemies. That's not a problem. No, nor is it one who hates me who has exalted himself against me. It's not that. Then I could hide from him like I did with Saul. I've been there before. No, but it was you. It was you, a man, my equal, my companion and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God in the throng. We all worshiped together. We were there. It's a friend. That's why this hurts him so bad. How could this be? That's why he wants to take wings like a dove. He's not redding his sling. You know, if it was Goliath, I know what to do. I'm going to sink this stone in his forehead. But when it's a friend, I have no interest in sinking a stone in their forehead. What do I do with that? I'd rather just fly away. I want to escape this. And so he's struggling with this. It's hit him hard in the heart. Goliath didn't hit him hard in the heart but a wound of a friend like this does. It hits him hard. So he says some things here. (laughs) This is the slashing of the tire a little bit. He says, let death seize them. Let them go down alive into hell for wickedness is in their dwellings and among them. And I don't know if he wishes that on them or understands that that is where they're headed. I mean, that's the result of this. Something is twisted so much in his friend's heart that this is not going to end well, you know. In Proverbs twenty-seven six, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Now the proverb writer there says that sometimes friends have to tell you the truth, and that's okay. Those are faithful wounds. I can take that. They're they're looking out for my best interest. Jesus, our friend can give us wounds sometimes in the sense that this is something that needs to change in your life. I'm not happy with this. I need this to go. That's a faithful friend. That's a faithful wound. I'll take that. That's not what's happening here. Proverbs 25, 23 through 24. The north wind brings forth rain and the backbiting tongue and angry countenance. It is better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a counten- with a contentious woman. Didn't mean to throw women under the bus here, but you're not exempt from this, you know? It's like, I I, I thought I did the right thing, and I came home, and apparently she says I didn't do the right thing. And, you know, it's backbiting me to her friends. Be careful about that in marriages. That's your best friend you're sitting next to. That is your confidant. That is your lifelong partner. It's not someone you talk about with anybody else. That's the person that you've betrothed yourself to, you've made a commitment to. So as far as marriages are concerned, be careful about that. But back to verse 23, which is the important one, a backbiting tongue and an angry countenance. They just kind of go together. Backbiting is something, well, we know about that, talking behind your back. It's a dangerous thing, and that's what's happening to David. Second Corinthians 12, 20. For I fear, lest when I come, this is the Corinthian church we've been studying on Wednesdays, They had a lot of problems. Paul says, I am coming, but I don't want to come with you in this current state. I want you to be changed. He says this, for I fear lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I wish. Like just fellowship, you know, and brothers and sisters in the Lord. That's what I hope to see. And that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish. Lest there be contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings. Whisperings, conceit, tumults. That's not how I want to come. I want to just fellowship. David's finding himself in an awkward position, a place that he wants to leave. He can't. He's king. It's not like you can just take off. So he has to deal with it. Verse 16. As for me, and this is our hope, I will call upon God and the Lord shall save me. Evening and morning and at noon I will pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. He has redeemed my soul in peace from the battle that was against me, for there were many against me. God will hear and afflict them, even he who abides from of old. I think we've all been through this before. There's nothing new. Every human being goes through these Kind of difficulties, that's why God puts it in his word. None of us are exempt from this. Maybe on larger and smaller scales, depending on your life and your friend and your betrayal, it happens. But David's heart on this is important that his his prayer is for peace. I just want peace. There's several times in Scripture where, yeah. The enemies get confronted and they get wiped out and they get taken out. And We, you know, and 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 for, as it, I huff and puff as a teacher and say, yeah, we'll get them, God. You know, and I and I I don't mind those stories, but I prefer the ones where God gets them so busy that they forget about their enemy or you. You know, I like those. There's a couple times where the enemy's coming against Israel or Saul was coming against David or different times, and David was like, God help me, and it it wasn't that David got to, you know beat Saul to a pulp, you know, as some of the scriptures do tell us, that happens sometimes, you know, the the enemy loses that way. Other times it's like David just, or Saul just got distracted and wasn't as interested in David anymore. David can just kind of walk away from the deal. That's what David's heart is. I pray that you'd afflict them. Just get them going. I don't want to afflict them. I don't want you to use me. I don't want you to do this. But you just deal with it, God. It's a wonderful thing. It's a tough thing, but it's a, it's a very good thing that David wants that. And I want you to have hope in your situations that you find yourself in. And some of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never been through this. It's probably coming. I think it happens. It just happens. And how you deal with it is either going to be, well, there's just two ways. You're either going to wallow in it and have a lot of self-pity, or you're going to pray your way through it and trust in the Lord And let God do the fight for you. Let him do the battle in in his way, in such a way that it brings about peace and restoration. David wants this to end in such a way that there's a way for them to come back to him. I think it's very important for us as people to make sure that the other person, no matter how angry or how upset or whatever it is that they're going through, knows there's a way back, that they don't have to stay over there. That's my favorite part of the prodigal son and, and And the father who is waiting for him, that prodigal son, as rotten as he was, he was a brat. He really was. But he knew he could come back. I mean, he had to find the end of himself. He had to go through all the things he had to go through. And the father knew he was going to go through it. The father wouldn't have been scanning the horizon. The father had no doubt in his mind that that son was going to be coming back. He didn't waste his time saying, I don't know, maybe he found success out there. That was not what he was thinking. He's saying he's coming. I'm just waiting for him. And he knew he needed to be there so that the son could see him standing there waiting for him. See, that's how the son knew that he could come back. He could see his father. Is he looking for me? It's amazing. And please know that with your friends, make sure they know that you're looking for them to come back, but also take it a step further. God is looking for you to come back. He's always scanning that. See, because all this can be super spiritual, Talk about being wounded in the house of your friends. That's Jesus. Jesus has gone through all of this in people that he loved and cared for and fought the best of and only wanted what was best for you and for me. And we're the ones doing these things. You know, we like to put ourselves in David's shoes, but oftentimes when it comes to Jesus, Jesus is praying this for us. But he's looking for us. He wants us to come back to him. He's done no sin. That's the key. There's no sin here. David hasn't sinned. The people just just upset. So he begins to hope in that peace. He says this, God will hear and afflict them, even if he who abides from old, even he who abides from old, he'll do it. He'll do it. Because they do not change, therefore they do not fear God. That's an important verse, and you can reverse that if you wanted to. Therefore, they do not fear God because they, and then they don't change because they don't fear God. It goes either way there. Um, they don't change, and then they don't fear God. That fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We know that we quote that all the time. But until that fear of God comes into somebody's life, they don't change. That's the, that is the changing agent in the Christian is the fear of the Lord. That understanding, it, um. You either fear him because he's powerful. That might be your initial step towards Jesus is because you know how powerful he is and you know what the end result is if you don't. It's true. But as you get to love him and know him and and see how much he cares for you, you, then you fear a whole different way. You fear that loss of fellowship, that loss of walking closely with him. You fear that um, the conversation, the love that you have for one another, and you you fear the disappointment, although you never disappoint him because he knows all things, you you do feel that in you because you've hurt somebody you loved by sinning. That's a fear of the Lord too. And so until that happens, until that fear of the Lord comes into somebody's life, there isn't a change. Oftentimes people use God. Um, they take what they can get until they don't need him anymore. And that's abuse. That's abuse of grace. That's very. Be careful of that. But when the fear of the Lord comes into somebody's life, you can see it. And uh, you can see the change that takes place. And David, David says that. They're not changing. They don't fear God. Verse 20. He has put forth his hands against those who are at peace with him. He has broken his covenant, this enemy, this friend. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter. But war in his heart. His words were softer than oil; it, they were drawn swords. Flattery's a dangerous thing, and and uh, these smooth words—it's—it's uh, it's the skill of the deceiver. Satan had smooth words, and so when we share those attributes like that, we have to be very careful. We ought to know who's. Our Father at that point, when we're using smooth words to gather hearts, to turn hearts, and uh, we're soft, and they're, they're really not those things. They're, they're drawn swords. And David knows that. He can tell the difference between someone who's a true friend and someone who's just using smooth words. It's a, it's a tough place for him. Verse 22, here's our hope. He doesn't leave us in this betrayed state. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O oh God, shall bring them down to the pit of destruction. Bloodthirsty and deceitful men shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. There is a way. Um, the scriptures tell us several things here. Proverbs, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Romans twelve eighteen. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. That's your responsibility. It doesn't mean it'll happen. It just means as as much as you can do, as much as you have control over it, you live peaceably. Proverbs 14.12 and 16.25 are identical. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. That's what David is saying here in 22 and 23. Who knows? Maybe these friends really thought David was bad for the country. Maybe. That's not the point, though. And David understood that with Saul. Saul was bad for the country yet David would not reach out his hand to touch him because he knew that was the Lord's anointed and until God removed that anointed one that's who we serve. Absolutely David was always Saul's right-hand man even when he was running. And so maybe these guys think that a coup is important and necessary. That way leads to destruction. Seems right, but it's not God's right, God's way. And so David leaves us with that. There's hope here. I For the person who's being afflicted for you as your friends don't see you the way they used to see you, that's okay. Place it on the Lord, scan the horizon, keep on the lookout to bring peace and to have that restoration take place. Be ready for that. That's probably the the most important thing you can do during that time of separation from your friends or family or whoever it may be, is to prepare for that restoration moment. Get your heart ready to forgive. Get your heart ready to reach out and be ready to kill the fatted calf. Put the ring on. You know, put the purple robe on, which is from the prodigal son story. Be prepared for that, to embrace. They don't have to go through their spiel. They don't have to go through their apology. Just say, welcome back. Be ready for that. That's how you get through it also. That's how you can grow through these things. Otherwise, you're going to wallow, and it's a, it's a dangerous place. David leaves us with hope. Psalm 56. Another one. <laughs> Prayer for relief from tormentors. <laughs> Happy, encouraging Sunday morning to y'all, you know? It is. I mean, we, we, we need these things. These are tools. These are things we can put on. These are the scriptures that the Holy Spirit will bring to your remembrance right when you need them, if you're listening. David says, Be merciful to me, O God. For man would swallow me up. Fighting all day he oppresses me. My enemies would hound me all day, for there are many who fight against me, O Most High. Well, God knows that. That's why he put David there. That's why David was such a a, a, a perfect fit for the nation of Israel, because he knew David would he'd still stand. That's all God wants. I, I it doesn't matter who's in this, on this throne, David, they're going to get attacked. It's just a matter of whether you, the man on the throne, can withstand the attack. Verse 3, whenever I'm afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? It's a great heart, great attitude. Now, here's what he means by that. Because people can hurt your flesh. I mean, that happens all the time. People get mugged. People get shot, stabbed. All these things take place. So you can't really say that, you know, what can man do to me? Well, they can shoot you, you know. And they can. That's not what he's talking about. Um, This is Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and the body in hell. That's why you serve the Lord is because they can they can do whatever they want to do to my body, but they can't touch the important part. You know, the body's gonna go either their way or eventually time's gonna swallow it up. But my soul, that's the part that matters. And that's what David's talking about. What can man do to me? They, what can they do? They can hurt my flesh, big deal. Not worried about that. Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man brings a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. David relies on that. He relies on that. That's why I trust in the Lord. I, put my, I praise his word. He doesn't want to be snared. It's, a, it's an easy thing to get snared by fear. If you're not careful. It can, it can cause you to do and say and, and be a different person than you, than, you, than you have been or than what God's called you to be. That fear of man. Um, it it causes compromise in your life. It's It's a terrible place. Hebrews 13, 6. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? They can take my body, but they can't take my soul is the idea behind that phrase. So David understands that. And he says that out loud so his own ears can hear that. Verse 5. All day they twist my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather together. They hide They mark my steps when they lie in wait for my life. Shall they escape by iniquity and anger? Cast down the peoples, O God. Get them, (laughs) you know. I can't keep an eye on everybody. You get them, Lord. Verse 8. You number my wanderings. Put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? What an interesting verse. Tears in a bottle. They would do that. That's a thing. Um. They had kind of weird funerals back then, just culturally different from us. I shouldn't say weird, but it's not what we do. But they would hire mourners to come, you know. You may not have been the most popular guy in town, so you'd have to pay out some money for 20 people to show up at your funeral and and, and cry over you or whatever. Um, And then there were some genuine people and all that, but they would actually cry, and they would catch their tears in little tiny glass bottles. And they would take those glass bottles and say, look, and they would put them in the sepulcher with... With them you know, in the, in the in the grave, with them, so they can see, oh look at all those tears. He was super missed, you know, or she was super super loved, you know, and they could see that. I don't make fun of it. I mean some of them were probably genuine, but most of them were you know, how much for a couple bottles of tears, you know, kind of thing, so I could put them make, make people think. Well, this puts a twist on Luke chapter seven, if, if this is what's happening here. Luke chapter seven, verse 37 through 38. It's a woman, a sinner, it says. Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's table, and I want to read it to you. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table of the Pharisee's house, bought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. We got that part. And stood at his feet behind him, weeping, She began to wash his feet with her tears. Now, it could have been the tears coming from her face, but it also could have been all the tears she'd been gathering her whole life because that's part of this custom. She would gather the tears from all the sorrow, from all the pain, from all the mourning that you've done, and you would keep them in a jar. It's very possible she's pouring these out on his feet, not just the ones dripping from her face, although she is very grateful. It could be that. And wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet. And then after that, anointed them with the fragrant oil. That's the alabaster flask. That's the, the, the stuff. And I, and I don't want to make more of it than it is. I'm, well, I'm going to make more of it than it is because we don't know exactly what's happening here. But it's, it's true. We like to gather tears and display them. A lot of times people need to see, look, look my life, that's, that's how many tears have come from my life. And it's true. But we gather them for people to look and say, well, my glass. And here's the problem with that. We bring out our glass. Well, my glass is more full than your glass. I've got way more many tears than you've ever had in your life. Oh, yeah? You know, you drag out your barrel kind of thing. But look at my glass. What's happened here with this woman, if this is the case, if this is what's taking place, she's not comparing. She's not not mourning the loss. She's not looking at everything. She's pouring them on Jesus' feet. She's making use of those tears. That's all these tears. I'm pouring them on Jesus' feet because he's taken away all my burdens, all my sorrow, all my sadness, everything. I'm giving it all to him, all my past, everything I've ever gone through. I'm not keeping it anymore in my heart, in the back of my mind, to bring up whenever I need to bring it up. I'm dumping them at your feet, Jesus. I'm washing your feet with them. It's in gratitude. This is water well used. All the tears of my life I pour at your feet, Jesus. Jesus. David says, I know that you know my tears. That's his point. God, I know that they're in your book. I know that you've marked down all the sorrows of my life. I know that you know those things. Verse 9, when I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. This I know, because God is for me. In God, I will praise his word. In the Lord, I will praise his word. And God, I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? He's saying that over and over again to himself. Why am I in this place in my heart emotionally? Why am I in this dark place right now? And he he begins to pull himself out of it by praising the Lord in it. Knowing that God knows. Knowing that God's for him. Reassuring himself that all the promises God's ever made to him. It's very important. Joshua chapter 10 verse 8. And the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear them. For I have delivered them into your hand, not a man of them shall stand before you. We don't always get that promise. But God wants us to know that we can trust him to to do that if it's his will. I'll leave it there. Because not everybody gets beat down in front of us. We don't just get to walk around, you know. Sometimes we get the beating. Paul's a great example of that. Paul got beat all the time. He would not be able to claim that verse. I can walk into any town and preach Jesus and come out of it unscathed. Well, that never happened to him. He was always hurt physically. And so I don't want to give us any false hope here saying we can walk around like we're bulletproof. We're not, but there are times when God will give us, give us those promises. Joshua was terrified Joshua's not terrified. Joshua, the son of none, Joshua and Caleb were the ones that went in to spy out the land and brought back and say, we can beat these giants. It's no problem. That isn't the kind of terror that Joshua is leading a group of people and he's not so sure about himself anymore. He's a lot older than he was when he first went into the land. It's been 40 years. He's 80 years old now. And he's coming across this water. He's saying, I'm not the man I used to be. And God simply says to him, don't worry. I'm, I've got this. I'll handle this. And that's the important part of this for this morning. I don't have to connive alongside with them. I don't have to sidestep their plans or figure out what their what their schemes are. I can really, truly just give it to God and let God, let their schemes come to nothing and have him defend us. I can just let it be. I don't have to fight. I can let him fight for me. And that's the idea. That's what God promises him. Verse 12, vows made to you are binding upon me, O God. I will render praises to you. I wish I wish that was the case for everybody, that they would understand that vows are binding. David understood that. He's declaring that. When I, when I make a vow to you, God, it's binding. I bind myself to that vow. He doesn't take it lightly. Um, in Deuteronomy twenty three twenty one, when you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and it would be sin to you. To not keep your vow to God is sin. It's not simply, well, I thought I could, but I'm not going to do it anymore. I hope you understand, you know, the whole thing. Oh, God, if you get me through this, I'll become a priest, you know, kind of thing. And then you get through it. And it's like, what I meant was, you know, kind of thing. We make light of our vows. Ecclesiastes 5.4. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Ecclesiastes 5.5. 5, Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. You take it seriously. Well, I'm glad I haven't vowed to God. Haven't you? <laughs> Jesus, I give you my life. I will serve you all the days of my life. That's a vow. That's a promise. That's something that we're called to. That's something that if I don't do that, that's sin. That's important. I don't take those things lightly. David doesn't take those things lightly. None of us should. The cross isn't something that we look to when we're depressed. It's our our guidance. It's, it's, It's how we live. My relationship with Jesus Christ is how I see everybody and everything and every situation in my life. Everything I do. Because when he died on the cross, and I had that moment, I was a born-again believer, and I gave my life to him. I gave my life to him. I said that out loud. David understands that. I don't get to take up wings like a dove and fly away to nowhere land. If anybody could have done that, David could have done that. Give me three camels and a head start, you know, and I'm out of here. But he doesn't. He's thinking it, but he doesn't do it. Because he knows, I've made a vow to God. I'm king. What am I supposed to do? Where can I go? I can't go until God says I can go. And he understands that vows made to you are binding upon me, O God. I will render praises to you. For you have delivered my soul from death. Have you not kept my feet from falling? That I may walk before God in the light of the living. i have got too many stories in my history books here that show the wonderful works of your hands in my life, God. Of course, I'm going to walk through this. What else could I do? Be encouraged in that. I don't know how many times you can mark down where God has stepped up in your life, but may the next battle that you fight be one of those stories where you let him do it for you. And that can be in your history books because that will help you the next time it comes up because it is sort of a roller coaster in this life. Sometimes nothing's happening and you're on the top. Other times, oh my goodness, where? what's happening? You know. And it's important to put those things in the history books so that you know God does this for me. I know that he does this. And here we go again, and that's okay. I know what to do. David says, we know what to do. David says, I know what to do. So... That's where we leave off this morning. We have communion now. Good time for that. While these uh, folks are handing out the bread and the cup, we do make this available on Monday mornings as well. We try to set up the table right here in the back, behind the back row. The church is open usually from about 11 to 8 o'clock at night for people to come in and take communion. I say this mainly for people watching online who weren't here this morning. Um, this will be set up for you so you don't have to miss and wait for next month. You can come in any time, just have some time with the Lord. should be quiet here, it's supposed to be. Sometimes people are in and out, but you can come in the sanctuary here and sit and spend some time with the Lord and have your communion, and uh, we try to make that available for you, so keep that, keep that in mind this week. Or if there's a, another time that comes up and you know, you're not here, you'll know that it'll be here that, that next Monday, that following Monday. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he uh, took the bread and the cup that they were drinking, and he first took that bread, and he broke that loaf, and he said, Take and eat. This is my body broken for you. As often as you eat this, you do this in remembrance of me. And they all took a piece, and they, they ate. He also took the cup that they were all sharing and drinking from, and he lifted it up and said, This is the, the cup of the new covenant, the blood of my new covenant. Not the Old Testament, not the old covenant, a new covenant with you. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. And what he was declaring was, my broken body and my shed blood are the way for you to get to heaven now. It'll be through my sacrifice. It was going to happen the very next day on the cross. It was going to make a way for everybody eating and drinking this at this meal to get to heaven. Their sins were going to be forgiven. They had no idea. But the next day, all the sins of the world were going to be nailed to the cross upon Jesus Christ. And God's wrath was poured out on his own son. So that no matter what sin anybody ever committed, it was taken care of at the cross. It's been paid for. There are no more sacrifices to be offered. It was done. When Jesus said it was finished at the cross, he meant everything, all of it. Every sacrifice that ever was, was all fulfilled in him. There would never be another one. We can rest in that. And so he tells us, guys, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, I want you to remember that. There's a new covenant that my broken body, my sacrifice of my life for yours pays the penalty for all of your sins still. That's why we do it as as often. It's not a one-time deal. You do this as often as you need to. You can do this at home. You don't have to wait for once a month here at Calvary. You can do it anytime. Have this time with the Lord to remind yourself that you're saved from your sins. The penalty of your sins were paid for at the cross and that you can now boldly come to God anytime you need to. As Christ's righteousness has been given to you. Your, his perfection has been placed upon you. And that's a blessing. We thank you for that. Lord, we thank you for giving us this moment. And we can take advantage of this moment as often as we want. You gave us permission. So this morning, together as a body, as a, as a church, we're doing this. and uh, We take this bread and we recognize that it's your broken body given for us. Thank you for giving yourself for us. It was willful, it was a decision, and it was from love. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, for this cup, we thank you that we get to share, um, that it wasn't our blood that was shed, that it was yours. That you, You took our place, you took God's wrath. There's none waiting for us. We rest in that this morning. There is no wrath waiting for us. We praise you for that, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's eat. about your friends or the betrayals of your past, just keep that in mind. They're just broken people, and they need healed, and they may need healing from you of all people. I mean, that's the hardest thing for us is to sit here and have this meal together, knowing that we're the ones that caused the cross, and then to give thanks to him. Let people come back into your life. Let them come back in and get that forgiveness that they need from you. They need it from God, of course, but they need it from you. You know, They need to know. And so um, I hope we take that to heart. Just as Christ has done for us, we'll do that for others. Ready? One, two, three. Right. Have a good rest of the day. If you need prayer, come on up.